Welcome to the Vineyard Church Cardiff podcast. We have Dave Pike joining us today, continuing in our series in Philippians. Well, hi, it's, I'm David, a member of the preaching team here at Cardiff Vineyard, and falls to me today to speak on the, the penultimate, the last but one message on the book of Philippians that we've been working through uh, in these recent weeks. And I'm going to be looking at the first nine verses of chapter four. And today is actually a very special day in the church calendar because today is Pentecost, the day when the promised Holy Spirit was poured out on the church when the disciples were gathered together in the upper room in Jerusalem. And So in looking at this passage in Philippians, I also want to take that into account by relating what I say to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I'm going to start by just looking at the first three verses uh, briefly, and I'll read them to you. It says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Eodia and uh, I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. So Paul's attitude to this church, those whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. They're very, very strong feelings that are coming through. And the Greek word that's translated long for here is the word epipotheo. And it's a very powerful word. It could be translated deeply longing for. And we see in Paul, therefore, a profound love and a deep longing as of a parent from Uh, for their children from whom at this present time he is separated by distance. And it's out of this heartfelt concern for them that he writes here. He wants the very best for them. And Paul says to them, stand firm in the Lord. In other words, be strong. And it's the Holy Spirit, the one described as the comforter, living in us in fullness that makes us strong. That word comforter in this context is not a soft, soothing, woolly word, but it literally means the strength giver. And Paul's encouragement is for us not to be thrown by the challenges and difficulties that are often faced in life, and specifically here to recognize the work of the enemy in trying to undermine faith and break connection of relationship with one another Bringing disunity, breaking up friendships, damaging connection amongst people is one of the main enemies that the, uh, one of the main weapons that the enemy uses. And Paul here sets very high value on the church being a closely bonded community, as did Jesus himself. Already in this book, Paul has said in Philippians 2.2, this is the New American Standard version of this verse, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He encourages the Philippians to develop an even greater measure 
of the close-knit community life that they have already been experiencing, characterized by unity of mind, heart, spirit, and purpose. There's strength in unity in a close-knit community. And the theme is also the subject of Jesus' great prayer for the church in John 17. It's a prayer in which we see a deeper expression of the desires that Jesus carries in his heart than perhaps anywhere else in the whole of Scripture. This is what he prays to the Father, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And that unity is the work, the fruit of the work in us of Holy Spirit. And that's why it says in Ephesians 4 verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And what follows really expands on that. And we see in the next verses, verses 4 to 7, some advice from Paul, some encouragement as to how to continue to live in the joy and peace that comes to us through Holy Spirit. And this is what he says in those verses. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here Paul is encouraging the Philippians to rejoice, to be gentle, not to be anxious, to pray, and to be thankful. And in effect, having encouraged the Philippians to stand firm, to be strong, what follows is encouragement and advice which helps them to do just that. And I think this morning it may well be that just one of these things will speak particularly to you today as something that you need to draw the life of the Holy Spirit to know in a greater measure in your own life. So let's just take a brief look at each one of these things. Firstly, Paul tells the Philippians to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. I will say it again, rejoice. He stresses the point twice. He wants to make sure they get hold of this. So what does it mean to rejoice? Well, that could be an obvious kind of question, I suppose. It's to feel joy. It's to experience gladness in a high degree, to have pleasurable satisfaction, to be delighted, to enjoy. Christians are to be a joy-filled people. Why? Because like Clement and the others working with Paul, as he has already just mentioned, your names, our names, are written in the Lamb's book of life, he says in verse 3. And Jesus says the same thing to the disciples in Luke 10, 20. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Joy 
is the one thing above all others that characterizes someone who not only believes in Jesus, but has become a disciple through faith. Now, here's a question for you. Are you a good morning Lord sort of person, or is it more like, uh, good Lord, it's morning? (laughs) Busy, hardworking lives often mean it's the latter. But given a more gentle start than the alarm clock going off at 7 or a baby screaming at 5 a.m., what song do you wake up with? For me recently, it's been day and night, night and day, let incense arise, words that we've been singing a lot. And I just can't get those words out of my head, not that I really want to. And those words are an invitation into a life of worship, a life of of joy, the joy that worship brings. You see, joy or rejoicing, letting incense arise from our lives is what makes us strong. Nehemiah 8.10 says this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Specifically, rejoicing for us means enjoying God, enjoying knowing him, enjoying belonging to him as his child. And Paul makes the link between rejoicing and the work in us of the Holy Spirit. And it's one of the reasons why in Ephesians, Paul encourages us to be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says to them, be gentle. Let your gentleness be evident to all, he says. And the Greek word he uses here... um, for gentleness, is epiakes, okay, which could also be translated and in fact is translated in other versions of of the Bible, uh, translations of the Bible as patience, forbearance, kindness, considerateness, graciousness, moderation, sweetness, meekness. No single English word really captures the full meaning of epiakes. And one commentator summed up its meaning by saying that it refers to the willingness to yield one's personal rights and to show consideration and gentleness to others. And gentleness is another fruit of the indwelling of the fullness of the Spirit in us. Galatians 5, 23, well-known words speak of the fruit of the Spirit as being love, Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And several of the qualities listed here are related to that one Greek word, epiakes. And there's a great promise in Isaiah 29, verse 19, this from the King James Version, where it says, The meek shall obtain fresh joy from the Lord. Gentleness brings with it. Joy, the expression of gentleness towards other, causes joy to well up inside us. And then Paul also tells them, don't be anxious. He says, the Lord is near, do not be anxious about anything. Verses 5 and 6 could be read, the Lord is near, so don't be anxious. The verse divisions in the Bible are sometimes in slightly odd places as here, because they weren't part of how scripture was originally written. And the Lord is at hand. The Greek word for near means both. He is coming soon. In other words, that nearness is to do with time. 
And it also means he is close to you, i.e. it is to do with place. The writer of the book of Hebrews reminds his readers that God has said to his people, I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5 that is. And Jesus again himself said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's Matthew 28, 20. So if he is near, he never abandons us when we find ourselves in difficult and challenging situations, even if the outcome of those situations is not easy to live with. I often, when we go to Leeds to visit our daughter, have to take my grandchildren, Noah and Lois, to school. And they always stop at a road and reach out for my hands when we have to cross it. Facing challenging situations where we might feel anxious, we can be like a child taking hold of her father's hand to cross a dangerously busy road. Do not be anxious. I am with you, says the Lord. And then he encourages them to pray. In every situation, he says, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the word for prayer here is the word prosuche. It's the most common word used in the New Testament for prayer, and it implies coming to God with reverence and with worship. It means literally to draw near, to stoop down, and to kiss. It's a word that implies that prayer has a strong characteristic of intimacy about the relationship that it comes from. And worship and prayer are very, very close. In fact, much worship is sung prayer of one kind or another. And by implication, prayer should be characterized by a heart attitude of love and worship. Prayer which merely presents a shopping list to Father God, or that's just an impressive array of biblical verses or theological truths without relevance doesn't really move God's heart in the way that he longs his heart to be moved by our sincerity and intimate relationship with him. So prayer. And then he also uses the word petition. Deisis is the word here, which refers to prayer as expressions of specific need. We need to know that God knows what we go through and what we need. And we need the encouragement of this word is for us to be confident that he will hear our cry and our prayer to him. And Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. In other words, don't give up on prayer. Seek to develop it so that it becomes an ongoing part of your life. And then in this section as well, he finally says to them, be thankful with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. Prayer with thanksgiving, thankfulness fuels faith-filled, effective prayer. And even in difficult times, it's good to just try and find something for which you can express thankfulness to God. And that actually then, when you do that, when you, when you do say thank you to God, even for the very simple things, that helps to settle your heart and bring you to a place of faith in the way that you pray to him. I'm just thankful to be alive. I'm thankful to have a roof over my head. I thank you, God, that there is food on the table. I thank you that you are generous and you meet 
my needs. It's a reminder to yourself of the goodness of God in Christ who promises I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'm always there for you. And as I say, it increases faith as you express to him your current needs and bring, brings joyful expectation of his ongoing goodness to you. And then there's a promise. At the end of that list of encouragements, Paul gives them a promise. He says, for those who learn to live this way more and more, with the help of the Holy Spirit living in them in fullness, there is a promise of the peace of God. He says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. It will make you strong. Back in 2006, I experienced one of the most difficult moments of, of my life, really. It was a moment very, very early in the morning, and I had to wake up my youngest daughter, Abigail, and tell her that her very best friend had been killed in a car crash. Claire and Jenny, two sisters, had just completed their A-level and GCSE exams, and to celebrate, they went to a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert in Ipswich with three friends. On the way home, their car was hit head-on by a drunk driver. Five people were killed in that accident, both Claire and Jenny and one of their friends and the two passengers in the other car. How their parents, Heather and Phil, coped with this unimaginable loss is absolutely remarkable. They were good friends of ours from the church that we used to lead in Lowestoft, and we drove from Cardiff to Lowestoft to take Abigail particularly to the funeral. The church was packed with school friends of the two girls, as well as with family and church friends. And, Heather and, and yet Heather and Phil faced by the two coffins, the coffins of their two daughters, were in a place of great peace. It was remarkable. And they spoke of how they knew that the girls, both strong Christians, were both now enjoying being in the presence of Jesus. After the funeral was over, they even invited a lot of Claire and Jenny's uh, and Amy's school friends back to their home for a barbecue so that they could console them for the loss of their friends. And Phil, the father, was interviewed on the BBC Main Evening News about what had happened, publicly saying to the whole nation that he forgave the driver who had caused the accident. There were difficult times of great sadness and a deep sense of loss in the years that followed, naturally. But this is what Heather, the girl's mother, wrote some time after the crash. She wrote this, my soul is at peace despite the sadness. I'm aware of God's amazing love that has grown ever deeper. And despite the pain and the inability to even eat when our daughters died, there was calmness, knowing that God was there throughout everything. And although I used to struggle with fear and worry, I don't anymore. I realize there is no fear in what is ahead since I know that God will be there because he has proved it to us. Heather and Phil were remarkably able to live in peace after what had happened 
because they were able to rejoice in the fact that their daughters were now with Jesus, their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And they spread about them the peace of God, even taking their two remaining children with them to serve for a number of years in a township school in South Africa, of which Heather wrote, in Cape Town, we visited the townships, met other Christians who have endured countless atrocities compared to us, but their faces are always full of the love of Jesus. Heather and Phil's testimony is living proof of the rock-solid reliability of the advice that Paul gives to the Philippians to rejoice, to be gentle, not to be anxious, to pray and to be thankful. And the result of such a life is the profound experience of the peace of God. And then finally, in our passage, we come to a last word of encouragement to remain kingdom focused. Verses eight and nine says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The things about which Paul speaks here are all found where God is. They are qualities found in heaven. Things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. And their characteristics that Paul longs be expressed more and more in the Philippian Christians that he loves so much. And they need to be our aim as well, our focus. Colossians 3, 1 to 3 echoes this same idea where it says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The kingdoms of this world will all pass away. And only the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, will last. And Jesus himself is the living embodiment of all of the qualities associated with the kingdom of heaven. When you meet someone who knows and loves Jesus and has learned to walk with him no matter what, you will see something of the qualities described in these verses in them. And the same will increasingly be true of each of us as gradually through the work in us of the Holy Spirit, we too become more and more like Jesus. And we will know that the God of peace will be with us whatever situation we find ourselves in.